Welcome to The Near Memo, a weekly conversation about search, social, and commerce. What happened, why it matters, and the implications for local. Welcome back, everybody, to The Near Memo, episode bum, 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 37, amazingly. Although 36 is not yet up, Mike. In your absence. <laughs> anyway. Uh, help, help these days. It's, it's in the can, but we have to still get it up. Anyway, episode 37, and we're very excited and pleased to have special guest Claire Carlisle from Bright Local and Claire Car- Carlisle uh, Marketing, uh, Dual Identity, and of course, as always, Mike Blumenthal. David Mim is uh, joining uh, Jeff Bezos and William Shatner in space, and so that's why he's not here today. Um, no, I don't know what he, do you know? He's on vacation, I think, right? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, at any rate, so we're here to talk about search, social and commerce as always. And we have um, uh, always too many things that we want to get to, but we can only pick three. And we're going to start with uh, Mike and the uh, Federal Trade Commission's s- somewhat surprising action this week. Um, tell us what they did. So they put advertiser on notice that only honest opinions uh, are legitimate. They, cre- they mailed 700 leading companies, tech companies, uh, Apple, Google, Yelp, uh, Comcast, and a range of others, Ford Motors, and advised them of the rules around testimonials and um, uh endorsers, endorsements. And a lot of people took it to mean that these companies had somehow, you know, violated FTC rules. If you read the notices carefully, essentially this allows, this is sort of the first salvo going forward. And all it does is since they've put these companies on notice, if any one of them were ever to violate the rules, they would then be eligible for fines. Without this notice, the FTC would have been basically uh, handcuffed into just a uh, wrist slap or limited to just a wrist slap, whereas now they can fine them for $37,000 or something, um, $43,792 per violation. So now they're able to give fines. So it's basically administrative housekeeping that gives teeth to their enforcement around reviews. It really doesn't mean anything about these 700 companies. They just pick 700 big companies that are, you know, that might possibly at some point in the future violate the rules. So it's more of a administrative thing than it is. It's sort of prophylactic in a certain way then? Yes. Putting big companies on notice that not only are they watching, but that they can be fined as well if they were to violate these. So I I took it to mean that there was some suspicion or some potential transgression going on at these companies. I mean, was was Google on the list? They, I, I Google was on the list, um, but they made it quite clear in the on the form. They said um, notice of penalty offenses. In other words, they were just notifying of the types of offenses they're concerned about. Notices of penalty offenses concerning deceptive or unfair content around endorsements and testimonies. The fact that a company is on this list is not an indication that it's done anything wrong. This is at the top of the list. So it really is just the biggest guys in the country, the biggest companies, the most you know, heavily used, they're just putting them on notice that not only will the endorsement rules be enforced, 
but there will be financial penalties as a result. Historically, there haven't been. This results from that Sandy Riley ruling several in 2019, where they caught Sandy Riley dead to rights, and all they were able to do was slap their wrists. Right. Because it was an administrative decision. Well, well it's interesting. Why wouldn't you put every big brand uh, in the country on notice then? If this is merely a, a, um, a notification that you better be careful, why wouldn't you just send this out to every you know, Fortune 500, every big brand, everybody. Why, 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 why these 700? I mean, this is not the exhaustive list. Well, this is the second time in two weeks they've done this. Last week, two weeks ago, they did it to educational institutions, private education institutions, which have a long history of abuse. So I believe that they are targeting types of companies uh, in certain industries where it's more common, where the practice is more common. Okay. But again, there is no indication. I know a lot of people thought it was like the first shot across the bow of enforcement. It is basically from where I sit, an administrative thing that gives them more power going forward. It's not as exciting as it first appeared. Yeah, definitely not. So Claire, what, what about in the UK with, with fake reviews? I mean, there's a, there's a, a enormous problem in this, in this country and it, it exists globally, but it, it, has the government done any, anything to your knowledge to, to crack down on review fraud at all? Thanks for springing that on me, Greg. That's, it's awesome that I know so much about that. Well, if, um, if, if you can't answer... You can make it up. You can make yeah, it up, yeah. Claire. Well, it's okay. Know, Nobody will know. know. Yeah. I don't know much about the um, legality side of stuff, but I do know that it comes up quite often, particularly covered in the news. There was the BBC piece about the guy who was an auto dealer that was saying his business had been ruined by fake reviews. So it sort of bubbles to the surface um, in the media. And then I know that all of his reviews were um, removed by Google, but I'm not sure um, in terms of what the, the you know legalities of the system in the UK, because... Um, it's not something that I see a lot of. And when I do, it's very small scale because of the types of businesses that I work with and we just tackle it directly. Right. So so um, I've written a report on this, which which was done in conjunction with a company called the Transparency Company. It was only it was it, we, we looked at um, Google. I'm not going to reveal the, the, the data now, but we looked at Google, Yelp, uh, Facebook and TripAdvisor in the U.S. and then in London to identify what percentage of reviews across 19 different business categories were, were suspect. And, um, you know, it, it basically represents millions of reviews. And so it's quite an extensive problem that, um, you know, hopefully the FTC is starting to address in earnest with this, with this, uh, with this move. Um, Mike, any, anything else you want to say? I mean, it, it, it was, it, it's disappointing that it's not a, uh, a more aggressive uh, a move on their part. It is aggressive, though, because it gives them the ability to chart to it's forty three thousand seven hundred ninety two dollars per occurrence, which means any company that does it, let's say they create 100 fake reviews. We're talking half a million dollars. Right. So it has the potential to have an impact, um, although the companies that are likely to be cheating are likely not on this list. This list included a lot of upstanding companies, but we'll see. Maybe. They, they seeded the list with 100 well, people they knew were cheating, and the other 600 were just counterfeit. There have got to be some cheaters on the list, I would imagine. One would think so with 700 well, names. Well, so Google, Google is an in interesting case here because Google has millions of fake reviews on, on, you know, on its site, and Google's on this list, but under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, 
they're not liable for those those reviews. Right. In a pri- that's correct. In a, in, I guess in a in any kind of a, a private action, but this is this is a regulatory context, so maybe that wouldn't supersede. Anyway, out of my area of of knowledge here, it doesn't seem to impact Section two thirty. Yeah. anyway. I don't think that they. That's a you know, but we'll see. Okay. It, it, it's it's part and parcel of their ongoing effort to create tighter rules, clear communication around those rules, and stronger enforcement. But it is just one of those building blocks. It's not anything significant. Yes, so that's that's all, all good. So I have a I have a prop for my item here today, which is the the Amazon uh, toy curated toy catalog, which was mailed out a direct mail piece. Um, Amazon is on the back, and it's also up here in the corner. And then there's a URL here, but it's really minimized. And inside the catalog is um, our toys. Uh, of various brands, and there's also, um, for those that haven't seen it, let me find a page. Um, there's also QR codes here that you can scan, which will take you to the relevant page uh, on Amazon where you can buy the toys. So it's pretty interesting on multiple levels, and I didn't even realize, Mike, you brought it up earlier in the week, and I didn't even realize it was an Amazon catalog. We had received it, and I had had recognized it, but I didn't um, – I didn't, I didn't, it didn't enter my mind that this was from Amazon. And, and you wouldn't necessarily know that by looking through it. The, the Amazon logo doesn't really appear inside the catalog. So it looks just like a, a, a retailer's catalog that you might get at, you know, holiday time. And it, it's, it's quite interesting to me because of the, the, the fact that Amazon is putting this, putting this out, the idea that, um, we, as we just mentioned before we started, that this may be advertising for them. It's not clear but maybe there's a paid placement aspect to this. And then also the online and offline component with the QR codes where you can, you can scan the code and, and go directly to Amazon. And the final interesting thing to me is that it's so heavily curated, which I, I can't find anything on Amazon. I mean, I'll, I, my shopping panels are to go to someplace like the wire cutter, read review, and then go to Amazon to buy it. But I can never find stuff on Amazon when I'm looking for a new product category. So this is very heavily curated, well laid out, easy to see. Obviously, I've bought children's toys in the past from friends, but I'm not a prime candidate for it, but I got it anyways. Well, and catalogs are enormously expensive to produce. I mean, they, right. you know, you, you have to have – they're costly to, to, for just the production of them and then there's the mailing costs. So, I mean, imagine, you know, millions of these going out conceivably. So there's – Amazon has, has spent a lot of money on this and minimized its brand. Which is which is very interesting because one of the values of direct mail catalogs is the branding value that 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 companies get out of it. Typically, people will get a catalog, go online, and do do shopping. They don't, you know, nobody really buys on the phone anymore or whatever. Sends the mail the form in through the mail. So it's 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 very curious on multiple levels. It's also sort of an offline presence in a certain way for Amazon. I mean, Amazon now has stores. I don't know. I did, in the UK, they've got um, – in, uh, in, in the US, there's, uh, of course, Whole Foods. Then there's uh, Amazon Books. There's the four-star store and um, the Amazon Go, store, Amazon Go stores. And then there was the discount retailing uh, sort of uh, thing that they were talking about. It's, what, what exists in the UK? I know Whole Foods exists. Does the Amazon Books exist? 
<laughs> uh, mm, yes. So because I live in the middle of nowhere, I don't really know anything about retail experiences, but I've just seen that there is an Amazon shop in Blue Water, which is a massive shopping center in the UK. Uh, but aside from that, I don't know much about Amazon apart from um, buying things online and then pretending I didn't buy them from Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> you had a comment earlier, Claire, about the layout of the catalog. Would you share yeah, that? I think that the, the front cover, uh, what you were saying about the fact that Amazon, you know, it's not uh, it's not really carrying any uh, well-known Amazon branding. It looks very folksy. So it looks like it's trying to hit a particular niche. Um, so I think that's quite interesting. I can't see what it it's not really carrying that type of um, illustration on the inside. It's a lot more traditional, isn't it? The inside of the catalog. Um, but you can imagine, you can imagine that if uh, the QR codes are linking through to those product pages and then um, how valuable that would be in terms of like related products in that particular niche, it, it seems like it's hitting, like you said, because I, I haven't seen the products in it, but in terms of curation, you know, what, what type of products? They look like high quality, top end, um, educational, creative play. A little, a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of, so there's Barbie. Um, there's, there's a lot of sort of um, f f what I would call Harry Potter. Um, there's, there's both creative play and then kind of more traditional. Thomas the Tank Engine is in here. Um, some, some, some outdoor sports stuff, but it, it's um, Lego. It's, it's, it's sort of major brands, major toy brands, it looks like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that my, my child uh, reads a toy cat catalogue at bedtime, and uh, she'll go through. It's, it's that thick. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the brand, um, but it's very popular with her. So uh, I can imagine that it being quite a hit with kids. Well, so that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Do you think that this is designed specifically to appeal to children? Possibly. I mean, I know that she would enjoy looking at the, uh, the stuff in there. It's, it's, it's just, I, I'm just really struck by the, by, the, by the way in which Amazon, I mean, I hadn't even noticed this package on the back of the fox, you know, that has the little Amazon smiling logo. I hadn't even noticed that. It's just... It's it's really striking that Amazon has chosen to play down its brand in this, um, and I just can't figure out why that would be. It's a, it's mysterious. Well, to um, attract uh, maybe secret shoppers like myself that you know wouldn't usually use Amazon, it's dumbing down the Amazon and 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 looking at something else. I guess I don't I don't know. So it looks like we've lost the vi the video on Claire, but we can still hear you. So let's let's. Yeah, we're still recording to it. It's recording locally. Okay, so we'll, great. We'll have. It. Okay, terrific. All right. Well, it's it's you know most people have quite a favorable impression of Amazon, believe it or not. I mean, we may be profoundly ambivalent about the company, but the but the survey data shows that people are pretty positive about Amazon. So it's 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 just a curious thing. Um, for for moving on to um, to Claire now that I can't see Claire, <laughs> but um, moving, <laughs> moving on to to uh, what I think is maybe the most interesting thing that that happened this week from a local search perspective, um, you you discovered something um, in d using Google Lens that that we'd like you to talk about. So just tell us tell us about what that was. Yeah, so I was. Um... 
working on a deck about images in Google My Business, and I was just generally thinking about the importance of um, images for a business, particularly when they upload them into Google My Business in the context of, you know, this is uh, letting Google know about what you do and what you sell, and also people know about what you do and what you sell. And then I started um, thinking a bit about visual search and how we can make decisions about what we want to buy just from taking photos. And then um, I tried to, I wanted in particular to trigger a three pack via a Google Lens search. So I found that when you make a Google Lens search, so it gives you various options, but when sometimes it says search at the top, which appears above similar products and then visual matches. So you make um, a search. And then I was finding that for some products, particularly products where um, Google was picking up a lot of text from that image, um, it was triggering a three pack. So the example that, um, that I gave was for some headphones. And then it gave me um, a, three, uh, uh, a three pack, um, which showed me in terms of justifications, I had um, a website justification in the, in, the, in the top listing, and then I had, had a couple of see what's in store uh, justifications underneath. So it was quite interesting to think that using Google Lens and then going on to make a search without appending that search with a near me modifier could trigger a three pack. And I think that's useful to know for all sorts of businesses. Was there was there any did you did you see on the other on the page was there any um, uh, shopping results sort of e-commerce results as well? There was everything on the page yeah. basically. Yeah. It was a, a very very busy SERP, so there was um, uh, a a lot of the time I found that I would be getting a product knowledge panel with with all of the bells and whistles, um, and then I continued to scroll down and then like suddenly there was a three pack and I didn't really expect to see it, but I'm seeing that um, across, you know, I haven't tested massively, but I, I've seen it a couple of times um, specifically with electronics. Yeah. What's, what's really interesting is the, 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 the fact that they took an image and then they gave you locations where you could, where they assumed or, or knew, knew that the, that the inventory was in store in real time. I mean, that, that, that to me is really fascinating. And, and, and Mike, you had some thoughts about how this is part of the evolution of Google's use of images and, right. and search. So we've been talking about this for a long time, just that Google has been obviously applying their artificial intelligence to images for the last five years with increasingly relevant results to the user query. Um, they where if you typed in engagement rings in Williamsville, you would see local packs with engagement rings. But if you typed in earrings, Williamsville, you then see the same local pack businesses with earrings showing. So they show it there. They're also started showing it in organic mobile results. Um, and then I think it was two weeks ago at the Google on event or what search on event, uh, they talked about coming enhancements to Google Lens, where not only can you put a picture in like Claire did, but you can add a uh, modal query to it so that you can enhance the image. So let's say, show me socks with patterns like these socks, and you actually include the image. So it's moving from just delivering results to actually using images as part and parcel of the query, like in Claire's example. And I see that as an ever-increasing uh, sort of emphasis of Google.
I thought it was also interesting. Uh, it might not be interesting to you, but it was new to me. I, I read through the Google Lens pages and they were talking about how um, visual search is tied to location and they were very clear on that you know the location of the searcher has 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 um a big impact on the results that we will give so you know they're tied so so that's that's that's, that's very interesting I, I i mean one of one of you know one of the things that google's trying to do to compete with amazon and product search is trying to provide local inventory which amazon doesn't do right and so google is sort of biasing the results in favor of that in a way, because how would they know if you were looking for Sony headphones that you didn't want to buy those online? I mean, they're sort of making the assumption that you want to get those locally, which is an interesting thing. I mean, they're giving you everything. They're giving you the option to buy it online, but they're, but they're privileging those local results, it seems like, which is, uh, which is I think, interesting. It is very interesting because it's their main competitive advantage against yep. Amazon. Yep. So they made Merchant Center free, so they get more. They partnered with Shopify and Woo to be able to get more and more products. They're bringing products into GMB, so they're they're focusing on local inventory as their as their way forward against the BMS that is Amazon. I think it's yeah it makes all kinds of sense. So so let's so, so let's get let's look at the catalog cover again. No, I'm kidding. Um, Let's 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 get a little bit tactical, Claire. I mean, you had some thoughts before we started about what marketers should do to to, to take advantage of this, you know, to to the extent that they can. Um, what what is your advice? Um, be aware that this is, um, you know, when we think about how people search, and there was all the hoo ha about voice search, and then it didn't really turn into anything in terms of we necessarily need to change our behavior massively as marketers. Um, but a big shift in visual search in terms of how consumers search does mean that we need to change our behavior as marketers because we need to make sure we have the right images and that we've optimized them in the right way, that they load quickly, that they look good on a range of devices. Um, so we just need to pay much more attention to our um, images and also how we are um, feeding details about the products and services that we offer into all the different places that Google can pull justifications and information from. And just to reinforce that, Joy's article several weeks ago and Joel's presentation at Local U both indicated that the value of these images isn't just within Google GMB, but on the website as well, that Joy's article indicated that you would see ranking gains by including these images, these product relevant images or service relevant images on the web page that seems to help as much or more in terms of rank whereas the images on google help in terms of conversion uh and both and joel's talk uh basically came to the same conclusion just as a note i am a consultant with air.cam which is focusing on local photos so i have a i have skin in this game because i think it's so important so just for full disclosure, not to violate any FTC guidelines. Here. I think you are, Mike. I think that is, uh, you'll be getting one of those notices in the mail and a $43,000 fine or whatever it is. <laughs> as long as I'm transparent about but it's it, not, it's okay. But it's not a fault. It's not fraud. It, it lacks the, the uh, deceptive element because you disclosed. But, um, well, so, so just, just a, a quick question on, on how you, ch you know, if you're, a big, if you're a big brand, a big retailer or, or a manufacturer, You've got product images all, all over the place. You've got your merchant feed and you've got, you know, your products all over the website. You're doing e-commerce. But if you're a smaller merchant or service business, 
you know, how you, you, you can't take pictures of everything conceivably. How do you know which, which images to choose, which ones to select? Can I, can I give a first stab at this? So yeah. Google's Vision AI, tough. Uh, Vision, Google's Vision AI has a free service where you can drop an image to see how Google understands an image. And this is a feature that uh, Air.cam has built into their product. So when they send a photographer on site, they set up a, based on the keywords that, that are important to the business, based on the services and products important to the business, they set up a shot list. And then when the shots come in, they match it against how Google understands the shot. Do they see the shot as a dentist or do they see it as medical goods? And, and so you can identify your primary areas of activity and then you can match those images against Google's understanding of that activity. So you take your six or seven most important things and make sure you have images that Google understands is part of that. Yep. No, That's no. the thing. <laughs> well, what about, what, what, but what about a retailer though? What about a retailer? I mean, I, I understand if you're a, a, you know, if you're a landscape designer or something, you can have a portfolio of work that you've done that represents the kinds of things that you do. But, but if you're a, if you're a small retailer, let's use the toy, toy example, toy store, right? So if you're an independent toy retailer and you've got hundreds of toys in your store, I mean, I suppose you could be on TikTok all the time or Instagram and figure out which toys are popular, if that's even where toys are making their appearance these days. But how do you how do you know which of your products to 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 photograph and to to try and promote? You know. So I, I would. I want to hear from Claire. 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 All right, I'll shut up. You can, you can it's like, like, like anything, I'd be uh, focusing on the things that are most important to the business. So they already uh, get the best return and revenue, but then I'd be looking at, you know, I think it's important to, to monitor what's happening from a sort of zeitgeist perspective to understand what the, the new things in the market are, you know, is it yep. natural toys, wooden toys, and then making sure that you have good photos um, that can be, you know, applied at, you know, category level, it's evergreen, you know, you're always going to need images of these types of things rather than matching it one-to-one -to, -one to a type of product. Right. And you'll know what your sales volume is. So, so now, Mike, go ahead. Right. Well, it's going to something similar to what Claire said. Basically, your product inventory is going to be stock photography, but your custom photography for the website and the top 10 images in GMB should be these high-level conceptual evergreen categories that will continually show up in search to both reinforce conversions at GMB and to rank higher on your website. So the local landing page should have your top three, four or five images. And then your category pages should have category images that are locally and specific to your business. And then your product feed to Google should be just the product feed of that particular thing. Then you're covering all of your bases. Okay. On that note, on that, that helpful advice, tactical note, We'll uh, conclude today. Thanks, Claire Carlisle, for stepping in for David Mim. We'd love to have you back at some future point. Um, it's, Thank you. Yeah. And um, as always, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, sign up for our newsletter at nearmedia.co. And uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on anything you want to talk about. Thanks for joining David, Mike, and Greg. To stay on top of the latest developments in local, subscribe to our newsletter at nearmedia.co. We'll see you next week.